This sermon was recorded at Grace City Church's Sunday morning service. Thanks for engaging with us online, and we pray that this sermon greatly encourages your faith and walk with God. Anyway, it's lovely to see all of you. I love uh, it when we come in the morning. I love it when we do church together. Um, I'm just going to get straight into this today because you guys know how nervous I get about these things. Okay, so hands up if you like a good fairy tale. Um, yeah, I love them. I used to read them to my girls when they were little all the time. And then at bedtime, I would have to retell a fairy tale. Uh, I had to make one up. And they always had to involve two little princesses, Princess Haley and Princess Jessie. And no matter what the story was about, they always had to include an evil stepmother um, or a handsome prince, um, sometimes a unicorn for some strange reason. Um, but as you know, most fairy tales all have a similar theme, um, a rags-to-riches story, if you like, a beautiful poor girl um, who's been living with an evil stepmom or evil sisters, sometimes even seven small men in a forest, um, and then she's often found and rescued by a handsome prince, and the, as most fairy tales end with the words, and they all lived happily ever after. Good. Well, the story I want to share with you today is in some ways like a fairy tale. There are no evil stepmothers. There are no princes. There are definitely no unicorns. But it is about a, a beautiful orphan girl who wins this beauty contest and becomes a queen. There's an evil man who plots her destruction as well as the destruction of all her people. Um, but because of her courage and her bravery, she saves them and indeed... I suppose they do live happily ever after. And of course, the young girl I'm talking about is the very beautiful Hadassah or Queen Esther. Okay, I actually have to wear these because seriously, I'm, I was trying not to because I stood on them and they crooked. But is that okay? <laughs> you guys have to look at me. I don't have to see it. Okay, so I know the story is very well known. I understand that, but I'm still, just in case there's somebody in this room that doesn't know the story of Esther, I'm going to quickly give you a highlights package. When Quint watches the rugby, he likes to just watch all the good things. So I'm just going to, as quick as I can, um, tell you the story. So our story starts with the king, and he's throwing this elaborate party that lasts something ridiculous, like 187 days. And it's all for the grand purpose of showing off his wealth and just how great he thinks he is. And one night during these festivities, he calls for his queen, Queen Vashti, to come and show off her beauty and her crown, and she refuses. The king gets angry and so demotes her, basically. Then the king decides to hold this nationwide uh, beauty contest to find a new queen, to find the prettiest girl in the land. And there must have been loads of women because his kingdom reigned from Ethiopia all the way to India. And without knowing, they found this beautiful Jewish girl named Esther. And I say they without knowing because she doesn't tell them uh, where she's from. They don't, she, they don't tell, she doesn't tell anybody where her back, what her background was or that she was a Jew or anything. And she doesn't because she's, her uncle, Mordecai, has asked her not to. Mordecai adopt, adopted Esther when she was a young girl because her parents died. And we know uh, from the Bible that es Mordecai works for the king because it says one night he was on duty at the king's gate. And while he's there, he overhears two people conspiring against the king. He tells Esther, Esther tells the king, Mordecai uh, saves the day, and, this, and these two men are hung on a gallow. And this is where our story could end, right? Esther becomes queen, he saves the day, they all live happily ever after. But like every good story, we need a baddie or a villain, 
And a few months later, the king promotes this powerful man named Haman. He's one of the king's officials, and the king makes this decree that people would need to bow to him. Uh, Every time you're in his presence, you would have to bow, bow to Haman. But Mordecai refuses to do this, and this infuriated Haman. He hated Mordecai. He hated him so much that he decided he wanted to kill him, and not only him, all of his people. And so he sets this plan in motion to have them all killed. Haman goes and bribes the king one night, says to, says to the king, you know, there's this race of people and they are law unto themselves, and he bribes them with 10,000 talents of silver. And he, sends out, he says to the king, we've got to send out a d- decree to all the people in Persia, saying that on a specific day, in a few months, we need to wipe every Jew out and nobody will be punished for doing so. So this decree is sent out. Mord- Mordecai catches wind of it one day and he is devastated. The Bible says he tears his clothes and he uh, weeps. And he sends this urgent message to his niece, the queen, and he says, you have to do something, you have to go to the king to beg for help. And Esther says, but he hasn't called me in 30 days, and you can't just go to the king unannounced because you can die. It's punishable by death. And Mordecai uh, says to her, don't, and I'll read the scripture later, but he basically says to her, don't think for a minute that just because you're in the palace, you'll be saved. And so Esther and Mordecai come up with this plan. Esther tells Mordecai to go away to fast for three days, um, and then she goes to the king. And as she walks in, the king uh, says to her, what do you want, Esther? I will give you, even if it's half the kingdom, what would you like? And Esther, all she does is invites him and Haman to dinner. Um, and, Mord- and Haman goes home after the first dinner, asks, invites him to two dinners, first night, second night. Esther goes home, and uh, Haman goes home, and full of pride, and um, as he's walking down, he passes Mordecai, who won't bow to him, and this infuriates him, and he gets home, and he says to his servants, go and build two gallows, 50 cubits high, and we're going to, I'm going to kill Mordecai and hang him on there. And then, in this amazing plot twist... That night, the king couldn't sleep, and so he calls for his servants to read the royal chronicles to him in, as a bedtime story. And these stories um, told of the heroism of Mordecai, and we need to, uh, all about when he, he told the king and the, um, that the king was going to be killed. And it's, he, he says to his servants, you know, what did we do to honor Mordecai? And the servants say, nothing yet. The next morning, Haman comes to see the king, and the king says to him, hey, how should I honor someone special? And Haman, in all his arrogance and pride, thinks that he's talking about him. And so he says, and why, he, he explained this, this elaborate event. He says, let's have a procession, a royal procession with horses and robes and all these things. And the king goes, what a great idea. I love it. I want to honor Mordecai. Let's do it. And Haman, of course, is like, oh. Um, and then... They do that, and the next night we have the second dinner, and Esther finally reveals to the king that actually she is one of the people that his decree is going to murder. And the king is mortified and says, who did this? And Esther says to her, a foe and an enemy, the wicked Haman. The king is furious. Haman gets hung on the very same gallow that was meant for Mordecai. Esther then asks the king to send a second decree out to Israel and says that they should defend themselves against all costs and they do. Mordecai is then put in charge of all the things that Haman was in charge of. They declare it a holiday to remember, and they all lived happily ever after, <laughs> I hope. But I just, you know, I wish Disney would read the Bible, because seriously, there's amazing stuff in the Bible. The next Disney princess, right here. And I'm sure, like I said, I know this is a well-known story, um, and I, I, I'm sure most of you know this, but if you don't, 
God's name is not mentioned in this book once. The author of this book, who is unknown, uh, writes this book with this invitation to look for God's activity or his hand, and there are signs of it everywhere. God is all over this book. He's in every scene from beginning to end, and he has orchestrated every plan and purpose that ultimately leads to Esther saving an entire nation. I love this story. I've been stuck on it for a little while. I actually, what made me think about sharing out of the story was because I had a word for a friend out of here, and I thought, oh, when Mike asked me, and I think I said no three times, but when he asked me, and I said, okay, let me do it, I'll do it out of Esther. And you know, just in working through this, how was that? There was a day where I just thought, you know, I wonder why God would have allowed this book to be in his book when it doesn't even mention his name. And I wonder, I mean, I don't know, I wonder if it's because there might be moments in our lives when we're like, God, I really need you right now, but I can't see you, and I can't feel you, and I can't hear you. Like, God, where are you? I've definitely had moments like that in my life. And when you're in that season, even as a Christian, it's very hard to go, God, I know I can't see you, and I, but I do know you're working. It's very hard when you're in that season. But how often after we've come through a season of pain or uncertainty and we can look back and go, okay, God, you were there all along. You might have been in the background, but you were working in the foreground. God does not need to be mentioned to be evident and obvious. So maybe Esther is in the Bible because there will be moments in our life where we might not be able to trace God, but we have to learn how to trust him. Anyway, so I wanted to just share a few things that I felt God revealed to me in this book. It's very much just my heart that I want to share with you. Um, and I, you know, I'd ask God for fresh revelation out of this book because it's a story I know well, and I'm sure most of you do too. Um, and if it's not fresh revelation, I just pray that you leave here today reminded and reassured of God's faithfulness. Okay, so the first thing I wanted to look at was just God's provision in the story. The story of Esther is full of this. He provides opportunities right throughout the book. And, you know, we often talk about her being queen and saving a nation, but do not miss the fact that she was actually an orphan. Her mom and dad had died. She was a slave living in another country, and then she was this woman of God living in a heathen kingdom. These are all obstacles that she had to start her journey with, things that might have seemed impossible in the natural and I think so often in life, certainly for me, I'm so focused on what's going on in my world and in my circumstance that I miss out on what God has for me or the opportunities he has in my life. I read this quote the other day. It says, as Christians, our mission here on earth has to be bigger than our circumstance. And every one of our deficiencies should not stop us from being efficient for God. Sorry. And I can look back on my life and go, even maybe without knowing at the time, that was God, that was God, that was God. You know, like the move here, for example, you know, it was hard, but God's provision in it has been more than as a family we could ever have asked or imagined. I'll never forget sitting in a leadership meeting um, just before we left South Africa, and I was just in tears, and I looked around this room and go, and I was, these were my best friends, you know, we did laugh with these people. And somebody reached over and prayed, uh, just said to Quinn and I, you will have this again. And at the time, I was like, nah, there's no way. But I can honestly say that God has doubled that, actually. 
I can look around this room. Some of our closest friends are sitting in here. And, and that's God, you know. God has been so faithful. And I just wanted to say as well, I know you probably don't, but don't forget to thank God for the provision in your life. It's so important that we do that. You know, don't be so busy that we don't thank him. I turned 45 on Monday and I woke up and I was, the first thing I thought to do was to just thank God for what he's given me. An amazing husband, three beautiful children, a church family, you know, just like, thank you, Jesus, you know. Uh, the second thing I just felt God talked to me in was that there's a time to speak and a time to stay quiet. In Esther 2, we read that um, Esther had not told anybody about her nationality, as I said. You know, one commentary I read said that Esther probably should have told the king and the other people that she was with that of her faith. She maybe, and maybe she should have, because um, maybe it wasn't being faithful to God. But maybe God had a perfect plan with his perfect timing. Esther didn't feel that she needed to say anything in that moment. And you know, sometimes in my life, I feel like God has placed certain people for me just to love them. I've tried to speak to them about Jesus. I've prayed for them. I don't shy away from my faith, but sometimes they just don't want to know anymore. And then I have to just keep quiet, and I have to just trust that God is working. I have to trust. So um, when we were younger, my mom used to always say to my brother and I, um, if somebody asks for money at the door or at the window or asks for bread, you should always give them some because you never know. You could be entertaining an angel without even realizing. It's out of that uh, verse in Hebrews. And so that's always stuck with me. It was something I brought into our marriage as well. So every time somebody came to our window, and in Joburg that can happen a lot, and they would ask for money, I'd say to Quint, might be an angel, we have to give them some money. And so Quint didn't always share my sentiment because sometimes in Joburg there can be 30 angels at a traffic light. But um, yeah, it's just always been something that I've done. And if somebody's come and rung the intercom at our gate and said, hi, can I have some bread? I've said to the kids, come on, let's go and give them stuff. And a few, uh, once a friend, a very good, one of our best friends, actually, who doesn't know Jesus, came to stay with us from Cape Town. And one night, we were sitting around having a briar, I think a barbecue, and they, somebody rang the, the gate, and they said, I'm so hungry, please could I have some bread? And so I said to everybody, let's go get some stuff. And I think one of my kids said to Jill, Mom does this because it might be an angel. And Jill was like, what? But I got to say to her, well, actually, it's out of the scripture in the Bible, Anyway, she had a good giggle, and that was it. And a few months later, I get this phone call from her, and she says, Kate, I don't know what you've done to me. A guy came and knocked at my door, and I emptied my pantry in case it was an angel. And I just thought, I just thought yeah, God is working there. <laughs> but God does have perfect timing. Because even in our story, you know, once this decree is sent out and Mordecai hears about it, Esther knew she needed to go and do something. She had to go and save her people. So she needed to take a risk, um, and I don't think she was super keen to go to the king, but Mordecai, with a little help from her friend, Mordecai says to her, Esther 4.14, he says, don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace that you will escape when all the other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for such a time as this? She was so scared, but she just goes, okay, I'll go. She even says, if I perish, I perish. But when she does go, the king welcomes her and says to her, what is your request, Esther? I will give you anything, even if it's half the kingdom. You know, Esther 
still hadn't told the king at this point who she was, where she had come from, or anything like that. Esther still doesn't say anything. She just, he just invites him to dinner. But the king, what I love in this picture is that the king clearly loves her, despite not knowing all that. He's found favor in her, and he's loved her. And you know, we don't know much about her character, doesn't really say, but we know that she was obedient and humble and loyal and all these amazing things. And sometimes this is even true for us. You know, sometimes we just have to show Jesus in the way that we live and, our, and behave and our character. And the Message Bible puts it like this in Matthew. It says, we have to show our God colors in this world. I love that. We have to be salt and light, right? And that will ultimately point people to Jesus in the end. We might not always get to share the gospel at every chance we get, and maybe we have and nothing's happened, but it doesn't mean people don't see Jesus in us. And all we can do is pray and then trust God. And then sometimes you've just got to take a risk. You know, I want you to see here, we always think of that last part of that verse, you know, about being born and such. But I want you to see the who knows. Who knows? It's a question. They weren't sure. They knew she was in a position as queen. She had this opportunity to go to the king. They knew God wanted to save his people. But did they know for sure what Esther was supposed to do? It doesn't sound like it. And there will be times in our lives even when we've gathered all the information we can, we've prayed as well as we know how, we've sought godly counsel, but still there's something inside of you that's not sure God might still be silent. Esther waited three days, but at some point, you just have to muster the courage to move forward and pray that God is with you, and he will be. And you, I think sometimes when God calls us, it doesn't always make sense. You know, we see this so many times in the Bible. I mean, seriously, Noah bo- built a boat in the desert. It doesn't make sense. Gideon fought the Midianite army with 300 men. Paul preached the gospel to unbelievers. Esther takes this risk and goes to the king. And all these stories lead to victory because God is for us. I think it's hard to sometimes, without all the answers, are we, but are we ready to take a risk? And as did this morning, to walk by faith. I actually, I, funny enough, I've had that mentioned in my, and I even, I even wanted to say I had to have that tattooed on my foot <laughs> as a reminder, a daily reminder to walk by faith. Don't be, allow, don't be afraid to allow God to determine the outcome. And then lastly, and I feel like God is speaking this morning, Deb, not by chance, but for purpose. Esther was placed in this royal position, not by chance, but for a purpose. It reminds me of one of my favorite verses, you know, we can make our plans, but God determines our steps. God didn't make a mistake where he has you today. Have you ever thought about that? You weren't born in the 1700s. You were born to be alive in 2023. I actually would have loved to have been born in the 1800s in the Regency area with big balls and ball gowns, but I'm not. <laughs> I am born in this time, for this period. And sometimes I spend way too long in my life trying to figure out where God wants me, or wishing I was doing something else, some other big thing for Jesus, instead of just allowing God to do something with where I am right now. You know, I loved Miles's preach the other day when he said, This is the ends of the earth for some of us, you know. Our life group, our uni mates, our workplaces, whatever it is, I might not get to go and preach the gospel in some out-of-the-way place, so this has to be it for me. There are no mistakes in the kingdom of God. He has you where he has you 
for a purpose. Do you guys want to come up, Ben? You know, Esther, like I say, she might not have chosen this position, but God put her there. And I don't think she grew up thinking, oh, you know, especially in her circumstance, I don't think I'm going to be queen one day or save my people. I don't think she was even vaguely thinking like that, especially with where she was at. But God put her there. And I don't think, you know, God used her situation that she was in. She was this ordinary Jewish girl for great, and he used her for greatness. And he did it that he could use her for his purposes and to save his people. There would have been a hundred other ways that God could have saved his people. We've seen it. We've seen it. He could have sent a plague like he did in Egypt, you know. Could have done a thousand other things. But he didn't. He used one of his people. And he still does this today. He uses us, you and me. And I'm not sure why he uses people, you know, but that's exactly what his plan is for us to work in this world for him. As Deb said this morning, we are here for his purpose, not for our own. Not for our own. Jesus said in Acts 1, verse 8, You will be the witness, my witnesses to the ends of the world, ends of the earth. You and me. And the words of Esther, Esther 4.14 are so well known, you know. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for such a time as this. And I think so often we can just think of this as a, a motivational motto, you know. But instead we need to see it as a reminder of how God has put us into positions and situations for his purpose. So be a people that God can use. Be a people that God can use, despite where you're at, despite your circumstance. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon. To engage with Grace City Church further, please check out our website, gracecitychurch.net, where you can find links to our socials. Or come visit us in person. All are welcome. God bless.